Sex is wonderful. I bet you never thought you'd hear a preacher begin his message with those words. Sex is a wonderful gift that God has blessed human beings with, and marriage is a wonderful gift that God has blessed human beings with. And God has designed sexual love and sexual intimacy to be celebrated and enjoyed within the lifelong marriage of a man and a woman. And the Bible celebrates sexual love within marriage. In fact, there's a whole book devoted to it in the Bible. It's called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. The king's wife says this in Song of Songs 1, 2, and 4. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now, I can see Paul and Keith already beginning to sweat and just kind of a little bit nervous about where I'm going with all this. And there's probably a few nervous parents in the room as well. I just feel a little bit awkward. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to read any more verses from Song of Songs. We'll, we'll leave that for another day. Perhaps this morning isn't the time to do that. Although I did come across this verse in Song of Songs 1 verse 9, which says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare. And strange enough, Claire didn't appreciate that on Valentine's Day. I don't know why, but anyway. Joking apart, sexual love within the marriage of a man and a woman is a wonderful gift, an amazing gift from God to humanity. And it isn't something that we should trivialize or that we should uh, treat crudely. Ephesians 5 says this, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. We should give thanks for this. We shouldn't treat it casually or crudely. We should give thanks. Sexual love within the marriage of a man and a woman is something that we should give thanks to God for. We should celebrate it, but it's not something that we should speak about coarsely or obscenely. People sometimes accuse Christians of always going on about particularly sexual sin or being anti-sex. And one of the things I want to say today is that actually the Bible contains loads of verses celebrating sexual love within the marriage of a man and a woman. Sex isn't dirty. Sex isn't something that we should be ashamed about or embarrassed about. We should celebrate it and we should give thanks to God for it. That's what the Bible says. We should, but there should be thanksgiving for it. But as with all the good things that God creates, sin distorts it. And when we treat sex wrongly, it causes all sorts of damage. Sexual sin, and you should have an outline on your seat, and you might want to just uh, pick this up and uh, uh, use it this morning. There's, there's various things for you to write on. If you find it helpful, it's there for you. Sexual sin is any sexual activity outside of the marriage of a biological man and a biological woman. That is what the Bible defines as sexual sin. It's the Greek word pornea, and the, the NIV translation usually translates it sexual immorality. So where you see that word, it's, it's an all-inclusive description of any sexual activity outside of the, ma- the marriage of one biological man and one biological woman. Sexual sin causes physical, it causes emotional, and it causes spiritual damage whenever it takes place. Se- sexual sin really does wreck lives. It never ends well. It always causes damage and destruction. The Apostle Paul writes these words, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You are bought 
at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. The Bible says that there is something uniquely defiling about sexual immorality, sexual sin, in a way that makes it different to every other kind of sin. The Bible says that God created mankind as male and as female, and that when they're brought together in marriage, they become one flesh, which is symbolized by the act of having sex. They're spiritually joined together through that physical act until death brings an end to that marriage. And any sexual activity outside of that marriage, whether it's before marriage or whether it's with someone else during that marriage, is sinful. It's what the Bible calls sexual immorality, pornea. Sex is a wonderful gift from God that God intended to take place within the marriage of one man and one woman. In, in fact, sex is the physical and it's the spiritual celebration of marriage. The Bible teaches that when a man and a woman have sex, they forge a bodily and a spiritual union. They become one flesh. Genesis 2.24 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his, or, or, or to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And just like baptism and communion, sex is a physical act that is also deeply spiritual. It's something we do physically, but actually it is a deeply spiritual act. Sex is never just sex. doesn't matter how the participants view what they're doing. God sees what they're doing and views their actions from his his perspective. Now, when we give our lives to Jesus and put our faith and trust in him, our body, the Bible teaches, becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. God supernaturally comes and lives within uh, a Christian by the power and through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so whenever a Christian believer defiles their body, which uniquely happens, the Bible says, through sexual immorality, it would seem that the Holy Spirit takes a special offense to that. And that doesn't mean that non-Christians, who of course don't have the Holy Spirit within them, are somehow freer to participate in sexual immorality that that's not what it's saying but it does mean that the believer in Jesus should have an even higher standard when it comes to uh, sexual behavior because Paul says we're no longer free to live as we wish we've been bought at a price and that price was the death of Jesus on the cross Jesus paid it all all to him I owe I'm not my own my body is no longer mine it belongs to him So we should honour God, Paul says, therefore, with our bodies. It's one of the ways we worship God. We can worship God through our sex life. But the concept of a man and a woman becoming one flesh doesn't just exist at a human level. Right throughout the Bible, the example of a husband and wife in sexual union are used as a picture of something bigger and greater and deeper. Human marriage is a picture that's used to describe and to speak of the relationship between Jesus and those that have trusted in him throughout history. God has made us as sexual beings, as men and women who have a desire for sexual union, partly to tell the story of his love for us. And in the biblical worldview, in the biblical view, sexual love within the marriage of one man and one woman is a great foreshadowing, a great picture of the infinite bliss that awaits us when we're united finally with Jesus in heaven. In the Bible, God deliberately takes and uses sexual language, and there's a lot of it in the Bible, that he knows will really effectively communicate with us as sexual beings to demonstrate the full power of his love for us. And the physical and the spiritual unity that takes place when a husband and wife have sex are a picture 
of the eternal unity that exists between God and those that have given their lives to him. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Bible starts with a marriage way back in Genesis and it ends with a marriage in Revelation where there's this great celebration of the marriage of Jesus and the church, the church being us, the church being all those who throughout history have trusted in Jesus. And so using marriage imagery, the Bible refers to Jesus as the bridegroom and it refers to us as his bride, those that Jesus loved. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And the Bible culminates in what the Bible calls the wedding of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb is a name that's given to Jesus. Revelation 19 verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come and his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. And then, when that takes place in the future at some point, then God's people live with God for all eternity in perfect unity, just as in human marriage a husband and wife are intended to do whilst alive on earth. So write this down. Marriage and sex are a picture of God's relationship with his people. Marriage and sex are a picture of God's relationship with those who have trusted in him. Sex isn't dirty. It's not something we should be ashamed of. Sex is a wonderful gift from God to his people, but it's also an amazing picture right throughout the Bible of God and his relationship with his people. And sexual sin is a denial of, and it's an attack on, the symbolism that God has created in human marriage, which he designed to be a kind of pointer towards the relationship between himself and his people. And if we're to please God, then we need to learn to control our bodies in a way that's holy and in a way that's honourable and not in uncontrolled lust or in sexual immorality. Paul says, honour God with your bodies. And having created human beings as male and female and having invented this amazing thing called marriage and having blessed husbands and wives with this fantastic gift of sex, all of which are wonderful things in and of themselves, but as we've seen speak of something greater and bigger, the great marriage between Jesus and his people. God then identifies marriage as being one of the sacred things, the really sacred things that needs protecting and needs uh, his protection, needs our protection. It's one of the things he identifies that needs protection as he gives Moses the Ten Commandments there on Mount Sinai, as he meets with Moses uh, and he gives Moses the law, the, the Ten Commandments, and all the subsequent laws for the people of Israel to live by. And we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments over the last few weeks here at Regent as we've been continuing in our studies in the book of Exodus. And we're in Exodus chapter 20. And today we've reached the Seventh Commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery. But before we look at this commandment in a bit more detail, let's just read again from Exodus 20 and we're going to read from verses 1 to 21 exodus 20 and this is the the occasion when god speaks to moses and gives him these ten commandments so exodus 20 and verse 1 and it says this and god spoke all these words i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below 
You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall, not, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you sh- on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Sin starts in our hearts. It starts with an idea, it starts with a thought, it starts with an emotion or a feeling. And unless we deal with it in that kind of instant where it starts in our hearts, then as it, ra- as it begins to raise its ugly head, unless we deal with it then, then it will lead to all kinds of outward external problems. Jesus makes it clear, and we're going to look at what Jesus has to say on this uh, commandment in a moment. Jesus makes it clear that what we end up doing externally is a problem. Absolutely. But that actually the real problem with sin is not, well, it isn't so much that it's not a problem externally, but the real problem is that it's, it starts in our hearts and that that is where the real issue is. That's where the problem starts. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about the seventh commandment. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount comments and he, he gives a commentary on some of the Ten Commandments. And this is one of the ones that he gives co- a, a commentary on. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn, we're going to look at Matthew 5 verses 27 to 30. And this is Jesus speaking about uh, this seventh commandment. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. And Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. He's referring to the seventh commandment. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus gives this commentary on the seventh commandment and he starts by saying, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. So, What is adultery then? How do we find that? Well, adultery is when someone who is married has sex with someone that isn't their husband or isn't their wife, or when someone has sex with someone else's husband or someone else's wife. That's what adultery is. And every Jew that was listening to Jesus as he uh, 
gave this Sermon on the Mount, as he gave this commentary on the Seventh Commandment here specifically, every Jew would have instantly known what Jesus meant. They would have known this commandment. And I guess, actually, if you went out into the Northeast today, into the local streets, most people in the UK, if you said, name a, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, this is probably one of the ones they might be able to name. And I guess that most people would actually agree with it. Most people would have to be a Christian to know that adultery is bad. It's, it's never good. Despite the fact that people commit adultery left, right, and center, most people, I think, today would still agree that adultery is still a bad thing. It's not good. Adultery wrecks marriages. It wrecks families. It wrecks people's lives. It is recoverable from, and of course, God is a God of forgiveness and grace, but we shouldn't underestimate the damage that adultery does and will do when it takes place. But it's possible for us to be able to say, and and perhaps pretty most of us here today probably can say, I've never committed adultery. And I guess that lots of people could honestly say that. And yet, despite never actually physically committing adultery, according to Jesus here, and Jesus' words here, we can be committing adultery in our hearts and in our thoughts, whilst never actually physically committing adultery. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it's not good enough just to keep God's commands externally and say, well, I've never done that. We need to keep them internally, according to Jesus. If a man desires another woman that, he, that he's not free to desire, in other words, someone other than his wife, then he's already committed adultery with her in his heart, Jesus says. And on that definition, I, I don't know many men personally who committed physical adultery. I, have, I do know some. But by that definition of adultery that Jesus gives us here, every man I've ever met has committed adultery, I would suggest. In fact, every man that has ever lived has committed adultery by that definition. Except, of course, for Jesus. He was the only sinless, perfect man to ever live. But every other man has committed adultery if we take these words of Jesus. Jesus defines adultery as looking at another woman lustfully, someone who isn't their wife. In other words, desiring her in a sexual way. And there isn't a man alive that hasn't done that at least once in their life. And most men do it an awful lot more than that. Can I speak to the ladies here for a minute? And this is always a dangerous thing to do. So I do so very carefully. Please beware becoming self-righteous and judgmental towards men and writing them off as terrible sinners because men uniquely struggle in this area. Please beware becoming a self-righteous, judgmental person in this way. I can't speak as, with as much authority about ladies as I can about men because I'm obviously not a lady. But I would doubt that there's ever been a lady who hasn't committed adultery in her heart. I understand that ladies are not wired and they're not driven as much by what they see in the way that, in the way that men are. And by the way, ladies, that doesn't make men bad. That's the way God has created men to be wired. He's wired. It's God who's done that for men to respond to what they see. It's different to the way that, way that ladies are wired, but it's not wrong in and of itself. But many ladies do also lustfully look at men, and maybe not as much or in quite the same way as men do at women, but they do do it nonetheless. And when a woman desires a a man who isn't her husband, either because of the way he looks or perhaps more likely because of the way he treats her and makes her feel, that is just as much adultery. So ladies, please don't look down on men as somehow, you know, being kind of less than human uh, it's, it's really not a helpful way to approach things. Please be beware of being self-righteous when we think of or when we refer to or when we interact with men. 
So, so whilst Jesus focuses on men in this section, ladies are just as much in the frame. It takes two to tango. No one commits adultery physically without a woman being present. So if you're a lady here today, this is just as much for you, even though for a woman it may play out in different ways because men and women are wired differently by God. So according to Jesus' commentary on the seventh commandment, it's not enough for us to be able to say, I've never committed adultery uh, with another man or another woman in a physical sense. Jesus says that we need to be pure not just externally, but we need to be pure in our hearts internally. So write that on your outline. I need to be pure internally, not just externally. I need to be pure internally, not just in an outward sense. One of the phrases hear quite a lot from Christians goes something like this. It's okay to look just so long as I don't touch. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you've said that. Or it's okay to do a bit of window shopping just as long as I don't go inside and actually buy what's inside. Do you ever hear that? Or maybe you've said that yourself. According to Jesus, that is adultery. According to Jesus, that is adultery. Desiring somebody that we're not free to desire, sexually or romantically or in any other way, is sin, according to Jesus. And don't get me wrong, it's not sinful to be attracted to another person. Being attracted to another person, whether sexually or in any other way, isn't sinful. It's part of what it means to be human, to appreciate someone's personality, to enjoy their company, to admire their looks, to admire their figure. These are all intrinsic parts of what it means to be human. And to be made in God's image. But a look or a thought that becomes lustful when it moves from appreciation to a desire for possession or gratification or fulfillment. This is what Jesus is condemning here. And Jesus wants us to take this really seriously. So he uses some really serious and shocking language. Look at what he says in verse 29. If your right eye, as he's talking about not committing adultery in our hearts, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, we need to be really clear here. Jesus is not teaching self-mutilation. Okay? That's not what he, he, he doesn't want us to start suddenly cutting bits of our bodies off or, or, or gouging our eyes out. He's using what we call hyperbole. It's an exaggerated form of speech that, to make a point for us to really get the fact that this is a really serious point. And the point he's making here is that we need to take all sin, but especially sexual sin, incredibly seriously it's not something to be played around with the punishment according to Jesus here for unconfessed sin of any sort is hell itself and so Jesus is saying look do whatever it takes to stop sinning no matter how awkward that might be no matter how difficult that might be no matter how inconvenient it might be for you it's better to be pure than it is to have a convenient life we need to do and write this down we need to do whatever it takes to stay pure. We need to do whatever it takes to guard our hearts and ensure that we have an internally pure heart, not just an external uh, heart. It's, it's not enough, according to Jesus, to be able to say that I've never committed adultery. We need to be pure in our heart, not just externally. And if we're going to do that, then we'll sometimes need to take drastic and extreme measures to ensure that we don't sin. Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes in your setting, in your situation, with whatever sin it might be, but specifically here, sexual sin. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, two things. Firstly, we learn that we're all adulterers. Just as last week, we learned that we're all murderers. We've all got a heart problem, 
According to Jesus' definition, this isn't just an external thing. This is a heart problem. We've all got a deep problem called sin. None of us can keep God's perfect standard. And even if I gouge both of my eyes out, I can still lust in my mind. I can still commit adultery, according to Jesus. Even if I cut both my hands off, I can still take something that's not mine. I can take it in my heart and in my mind. No matter what we do externally, it will never be enough to deal with the problem of our internal problem of sin in our hearts. And Jesus is showing us here that we need outside help. We've got, a, we've got an internal problem that needs more than, than we can deal with. And we all need Jesus to be the solution to that problem. We need Jesus to solve that heart problem, to change us from the inside out. And we all need, therefore, to be born again. No matter trying to keep external rules and regulations will ever be good enough because even when we're keeping them externally, we'll still find ourselves breaking them internally. So we've got a real problem. And Jesus is the only solution to that. We all need a heart transplant, not a, a physical one, but a spiritual heart transplant. We need to be born again, not physically, but spiritually, born from above. And that means that we need to surrender our lives to Jesus, to confess our sinfulness, to turn away from our sin. The Bible calls it repentance and ask him to come and save us. And as we do that, we're born again. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us and he gives us a new heart and a new life. He writes these, these uh, commands of God instead of externally, he writes them now on our heart. And he gives us a new identity and God, when we take this step, views us then not only as forgiven but as being as perfect and as righteous and as holy as Jesus. It's amazing. And then when we have that new heart, when we're born again, we can begin to change from the inside out. And because we've been born again, God has changed and transformed us from the inside. We then have that desire and the power to be obedient to the commands of Jesus. And that's the second part of what Jesus is saying in this passage, that those of us who have been born again, who have become part of God's kingdom and his family and are followers of Jesus, we now need to do whatever it takes to make sure that our behavior internally and externally matches up to our new spiritual identity. God has given us a new identity as holy ones, so we need to make sure that our behavior, not just our external behavior, but our internal behavior is holy. In response to all that God has done for us, we should want to do all that we can to please him by living holy lives. Therefore, honor God with your body, said Paul. So we don't need to physically gouge our eyes out or, or cut our hands off. If we did that, there'd be nothing left of me. We need to do the equivalent of that whatever that might look like, so that we don't, in this instance, commit adultery in our hearts. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Jesus, to Christ. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. In terms of sexual temptations, it's about making the choice that as soon as that thought pops into our head, to take that thought captive and to make it obedient to Jesus. One of the biggest challenges to sexual purity today is the internet. Internet pornography is a massive issue in everybody in, in the whole world's life, but especially and often in Christians' lives, in many Christians' lives. Over 50% of men and over 30% of women, this is not just men who struggle with this, over 30% of women in churches like this and 25% of church leaders in churches like this admit to regularly looking at pornography on the internet. And if you don't believe those figures, trust me, as a church leader, as I interact with people on a, on a kind of counseling and, and, and private basis, it is absolutely true. It's probably more than that. It's probably higher than that. 
So what can we do about this? Well, if we want to stay pure, if we want to protect our marriages, if we want to protect other people's marriages and ultimately be obedient to Jesus deep in our hearts, then we need to take steps to ensure that, in this instance where the internet's concerned, that it's neutralized in our lives. The internet might not be an issue for you. If that is you, good luck to you. That's great. That's fantastic. But it is a big problem for lots of people. So how do we do that? We need to use, I would suggest, accountability, internet accountability software. I have this on my phone and my computer, in fact, all our devices, and it's on all the devices in this building as well. And it means that for me, Keith gets a weekly report of everything I look at. And consequently, that removes instantly the temptation of the internet for me. Because apart from anything else, I don't want to have those awkward conversations with Keith, or even worse, Lucy, if she happened to see the, the email. So if you remotely struggle with this, then get accountability software. Immediately, for me anyway, that neutralizes the issue. I put two websites on your outline, Accountable to You and Covenant Eyes. If, if you remotely struggle with this, whether you're male or female, this is not just a male issue, then install this on all your devices. Do whatever it takes, even if it's inconvenient for you. Do whatever you, it takes. Gouge your eye out, chop your hand off. And if you're watching stuff on the TV that has sexual content on, th th then switch it off. Detune those late night channels. Give your wife the PIN code so that you can't access it. If you're a husband, does your wife have access to your phone? Unrestricted, instant access to your phone. Does your wife have your PIN code for your phone? Does your wife have access to your computer? If not, why not? Why on earth would you want to protect that from her? And if you're a lady, and as you watch romantic movies, and, and you find yourself becoming discontented with your husband because the, you know, the guy in the movie is just so much better than your husband, and you start wishing that your husband was more like the hero in the movie, which starts you to wishing that, I wish he was more like the other guy at work or the guy even at church. Maybe not so much for sexual reasons for ladies, but for other reasons, perhaps their humor or their intellect or their abilities or their caring and loving behavior. That's just as much adultery. And if that's you, then can I suggest that for the sake of the purity of your heart, and for your relationship with Jesus and for your marriage and perhaps the other person's marriage that you stop watching romantic movies. Nothing wrong at all with romantic movies or books. That's not what I'm saying. So long as we're careful and aware of what might be happening in our hearts as we watch them. That's what Jesus is saying here when he says gouge, your, you, you, uh, gouge out your eyes. He expects those of us that have been born again to do whatever action we need to, however extreme that might seem to others, in order to help us not sin. Paul says these words, and Daniel read them earlier for us in Philippians 4 verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, don't think about all the things that are not these things. This morning, if you are aware that you're not a Christian and that you're aware that you are a sinner and... and you have failed on this and, 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 and perhaps many other areas. I want to encourage you this morning to come and, and, and ask Jesus to deal with that heart problem that you have, that, that sin in your heart, and to give your life to Jesus. If you've never done that, if you're watching at home and that's a step you've never taken, then do that today. And if you want to know more about that, then come and see me at the end or, or, or get in touch with me. I'm delighted to explain more of what that looks like and, and how we do that. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, which is perhaps most people here watching or in the room, and you're engaging, and let's say you're not married, but you're engaging in sexual activity 
with someone, then put an end to it today. Turn away from it right here, right now. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're involved in adultery, then put an end to it today. Do not leave this room. Do not switch the Zoom off this morning without confessing that to the Lord and repenting of it and turning away. Do not put that off. If you're interacting, perhaps not externally committing adultery, but if you're interacting with a member of the opposite sex in in an appropriate way at work or or even here at church by flirting or confiding in them, then back off and, and, and put some barriers in place. If there's a member of the opposite sex that you are attracted to, nothing wrong with that, but if there's a member of the opposite sex that you're attracted to and you're struggling to handle your thoughts and your actions, then tell somebody else to help keep you accountable in that area. Or remove yourself from that person or reduce the amount of contact that you have with them. Make sure you're not feeding sin in your life, playing with sin by interacting with them. And if you struggle with pornography, then get some accountability software. Don't put it off. Do this today. Don't, don't, don't wait till next week or when you get a, a phone with more storage or whenever it's convenient. Gouge your eyes out today. Let's just have a few moments of quiet to reflect on, on what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, to, to, to each of us this morning. And this will, be, this will be different things for different people. We're all, in, we're all different. And, but if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something this morning in this area, then can I encourage you right now to, to respond to that, to the Lord, to, to, to take those actions that you need to take. Remember, God is a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. And if, this is, if you've messed up in this area, then God is a God of love and grace and forgiveness. But come to him and confess and repent. Father, we thank you for the wonderful amazing gift that marriage is to humanity thank you that it's your one of your great big ideas and thank you that it's a wonderful not just a wonderful thing for us as humans but it's a wonderful picture of the wonderful marriage between you and your people Uh, we praise you for that help us to honor and revere marriage and honor and revere sex and to give it this to treat it with the seriousness that you treat it Help us to protect it. Help us to take these steps to protect marriages, but also to protect our own hearts. May we honor you with our bodies, we pray. May we worship you with how we live and and how we uh, conduct ourselves and how we think and, and what we do with our bodies. Help us, we pray, Father to be those kind of people. But we praise you for that, that time when one day we will be part of that great marriage supper in heaven, your bride with you then forever. And we praise you for that and we look forward to it and we give you thanks for it. And we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.